second. Okay, welcome back to episode 12 of Frog Fever, a Big 12 basketball podcast brought to you by KillerFrogs.com. My name is Davis Wilson. My co-host Nick Germani is with me again. Nick, we got a good pod coming. We've got a lot of uh, Big 12 action as usual. There's not a week that goes by without some crazy Big 12 stuff. We've got two solid TCU wins, and we've got a big TCU fan, Austin Flanagan, joining us later. Um, but how you doing? You were at the you were at the Baylor game last night. So how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, this is probably my favorite pod yet. That Baylor game was one of the most crazy games I've ever got to experience. It mm-hmm. was just as chaotic as thrilling as you can possibly get with a college sports game and a basketball game at that. And um, yeah, great interview with Austin coming up. We talk all things TCU, you know, this season, years past, everything. So this this is gonna be a good pod. Yeah, Austin ran the uh, Barstool TCU count account while he was a student, so he's big into all that, and he gave us some pretty cool insight on how the Barstool stuff kind of works and it was cool so stay tuned stick around for that but for now before we get into the tc stuff let's talk big 12 it was another eventful week like i said it seems like we have eventful weeks every week but um where do you want to start because there's a lot there's a lot we can get into yeah we can start at the top um you know after what is it three weeks now four weeks now um of big 12 play there's only one team that's lying at the top and it's texas tech which mm-hmm. nobody projected from the start um they're 16 and 3 overall five and one in conference and they're coming off a win at oklahoma which they were underdogs in and oklahoma was uh the number 11 team ap wise they were 20th ranked but um i just kind of want to have the conversation because they are solely at the top and mm-hmm. How much do you buy into them being at the top of the conference? And do you think they'll stick there? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to see what you have to say. So I'm looking at their resume right now. And like you said, they're 16 and three overall. They're five and one in the big 12. Their only losses are to three, let's see, top 60 teams, Ken Palm. So they lost to Villanova neutral site. They lost to Butler in overtime on the road. And then they lost to Houston on the road. But their wins, I'm looking at their wins, their best win came on um, last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, against BYU at home. That's a good win. They beat Texas on the road. Um, I'm impressed. I mean, we, we've we talked about it a lot with the when we were doing all the non-conference stuff that you're not going to play a great slate, but they didn't really drop one that they weren't supposed to drop kind of, I mean, the, the Butler and Villanova games, maybe they now feel like they should beat those teams, but at the time it was pretty even. So I'm impressed with what they've done. They haven't, they've just taken care of business going on the road to Norman and beating a good Oklahoma team in a close game, I think is a huge win for them, but yeah. What do you think? I, I'm, I love Grant McCaslin. I think he's doing a really good job so far and He's got them playing really well. Yeah, they might be the most um, impressive team based on their talent, and it's obviously McCaslin's first year coming from UNT, so props to him. It's been such a cool story. Um, I think they're – I still think Tech's a, like a fraud when you take a look at how actually good they are um, mm-hmm. compared to other Big 12 teams. Like, 
they're not going to win the conference, um, in my opinion, and they're not. They're still probably not that upper echelon of being, you know, a top three team, but uh, they're definitely a tournament team. They're definitely going to be safely in there with their resume so far. They're 26 in Ken Palm and 26 in net. So, I mean, their metrics don't say that they're um, that they're this top team as they claim to be. They'll probably be, you know, top 15 team ranked in uh, the AP poll next week, and we'll get more in depth with their matchup against TCU because they go to TCU and um, in the next game, which is going to be a chaotic atmosphere that I'm super excited for. But um, in terms of being the best team in the Big 12, they're definitely not that. It's mm -hmm. still early on, and I think uh, a Houston will probably emerge from that pack. And I still think we talked about Austin. I still think Houston's the best team in the Big 12. So mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't jump the gun too far, but I mean, kudos to Tech. They're, they're having a great start, and it's cool to see them them do that with this roster yeah they're doing better than anybody really expected when you look at the conference slate that they've had it started off semi-favorably they had they had to go on the road to play texas which is you know regardless of how texas how good they are this year going to austin and playing there is tough especially when you're texas tech and then they get oklahoma state at home and kansas state at home so those are three like in the grand scheme of things in the Big 12, those are three very winnable games. And then it got tougher with Houston, BYU, and Oklahoma, which they still went two and three in those three games. So they're winning. I mean, they're winning more than you'd, you'd expect, really. And um, I'm interested to see, yeah, like you mentioned, they play TCU on the road, which will be big because both teams are are coming off two straight wins. Um, then they get Cincy on Saturday, which which is at home and another good game. But yeah, I'm excited to see what they turn out to be. Uh, yeah, obviously I I'm with you in the in the fact that they're pro they're not the best team in the Big Twelve, despite what the standings say. But they are better than I expected. I think they're probably better than you expected, and um, they're a tournament team. So I think they're doing a good For job. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. I think what it is too, it's it's kudos to their home court advantage. Like oh, yeah. they're undefeated at home so far and they've been known to and definitely do have one of the best home court um atmospheres in all of college basketball, not just the Big Twelve. Like they get they get loud up there and they haven't lost there so far. So um mm -hmm. they're gonna be a tough place to play when you go there and um I'm excited for it. Ken Palm says that Texas Tech is the number one home court advantage in the entire country. Yeah, um, ahead it's, of it's, West Virginia and TCU, which is pretty cool. Those are three big, big yeah. twelve schools that you wouldn't exactly expect. But yeah, you can't go to Lubbock and you can't just walk into Lubbock and expect to win, regardless of you know if if Mark Adams is coaching the team. It's just gonna be tough either way. Yeah, in, in the Big Twelve, home court advantage has been so big. Um, teams are thirty three and fifteen at home. That's a sixty eight point seven percent win percentage, mm -hmm. which is you know, shows just how much it impacts games. Like if you have not just 50, like if you have that 70% chance, you need to defend home court more. And it just shows that these fans in the big 12 are crazy about basketball. and They're going to show up to every atmosphere and mm -hmm. every single road game you go to is going to be super tough, but tech yeah. is definitely up there with one of the best for sure. Yeah. And tech just, like we said, came off a win on the road against Oklahoma you want to talk about Oklahoma because they've now lost 
two of their last two and four of their last six. They are three and four in the Big 12. Um, what do you think about this team after a start that was pretty encouraging for them? Yeah, if it was interesting, it was an interesting week in the Big 12. There were only three upsets out of all mm-hmm. uh out of all the games throughout the week. And one was TCU Baylor. Um, and the other two, I mean, this is upsets via Vegas odds. Uh, the other two were Oklahoma's games. They were home against Texas. And they were home against Texas Tech. And they only lost by one to Tech, but they got slaughtered by Texas at, uh, earlier in the week and weekend in Texas later. But it's it's a discouraging side for Oklahoma because they at one point were, you know, a top 10 team. I mean, we beat them when they were a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. They're just not that. Uh, I still think they're okay. You know what I mean? They're yeah. they're twenty eighth in Ken Palm. Um, but I think their real talent's starting to show. They just don't have those offensive weapons that can compete, or I I don't want to say compete, but can outperform other top offensive weapons in the Big Twelve. So when it goes to talent for talent type games, um they're going to be outplayed. Like they have the 56th offense in all the nation and the 26th defense. So they put together a team um, of a lot of different transfers and just, I would say a lot of good players, but no great players as we've seen. So um, they got out to a hot start, but I don't think they're that uh, being ranked that high in the AP poll to start the year was almost bad for them because it set their expectations too high when uh, they're probably meeting expectations, if not even, Mm-hmm. beating them with where they're at right now. So they'll probably be middle pack of the Big 12 when it's the year. I still think they'll probably make the tournament, but yeah, um, being ranked this high this early was probably not accurate. Yeah, I think they're certainly a tournament team right now. They have good wins. They have a win over Iowa on a neutral site in non-conference. Conference play, they beat Iowa State, which I think Iowa State might be the second best team in this conference. That's a big win. Um they beat Cincinnati on the road, which, you know, TCU found out how tough it is to go to Cincinnati and play. So I agree with you. I I definitely think they're a tournament team, at least right now with the resume they have. For sure. And, but I, yeah, they, you know, they took advantage of, of a not terrible, but a not great non-conference slate. And then they beat Iowa state week uh, game one. And I think that kind of set them up for, you know, that top 10 ranking and yeah. it obviously came crashing down, but they're still a good team. And I'm, I'm really impressed with um, the job that Porter Moser's done really with the, you mentioned like the level of talent they have is not necessarily the best in the country or really even close to it, but they play well. And it's kind of just a bunch of pieces that fit together really nicely. So um, they've got, Kansas State on the road and UCF on the road this week, which, like you just mentioned with the home court advantage, regardless of who you're playing, going on the road is really difficult. And those are two teams, I mean, we can get into it, but, you know, Kansas State's coming off two losses, UCF's coming off one loss. So they're those are both teams that are going to want to get a win. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how Oklahoma handles that slate of, of road games before they get to come home and play BYU, but they're an interesting team for sure. Yeah. Um, I completely agree that they're still a tournament team and uh, it's been super impressive to see what they have to do, but yeah, they're just not that top 15 team in the nation. And it's, 
it was pretty obvious from the start with their talent. Uh, yeah. They just kind of got folded in with their mm-hmm. wins, which is props to them. But yeah, yeah. They're, they're gonna be middle pack. So I mentioned Kansas State a little bit. I got a question for you about Kansas State. What was what was the more what was the worst look or the more embarrassing look for you? The drum tang post-game whining line session or the or Rodney Terry's horns down debacle? Yeah, they were I mean, they're both bad looks in losses. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's the Jerome Tang one was bad. So um, to set the stage, basically, he, after the game, went up to TJ Otzelberger and uh, was accusing um, fans of recording his huddles, right, and mm-hmm. cheating that way and helping them get the win, mm-hmm. which he kind of denied in the – press conference but kind of alluded to it it was weird he was kind of going back and forth on what he was trying to say and Mm -hmm. Jerome Tang's always been a character same with Rodney Terry for that matter of just being emphatic about different stuff and Mm -hmm. um not scared to say but god I I would still probably go hot rod because (laughs) god the horns down has zero effect we had another anything. horns down incident yesterday. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure what Texas is doing, but it's still like the Big Twelve yeah. is treating that like it's some crazy slur or something. Yeah, it's crazy. So I mean, yeah, alluding to that, BYU fans showing up with horns down shirts and then making them take it off. Like, who cares? It's college sports, and a lot of people go to the fact that they're going to the SEC, which is probably going to get a lot worse with heckling in that kind of manner. And horns down yeah. is just such a simple thing that you shouldn't care that much about um the yeah the one difference is that horns down literally doesn't impact the game at all but if tang thought he saw something that hurt them actual play i guess that would be better Mm -hmm. but extremely weak from both coaches and um coming up like following losses too yeah exactly when you come up with these things you have to say them after a win so then nobody goes we i go back to um rushing the court mm-hmm. people complaining about that it's always coaches who complain after yeah um you know they just lost a big game with the rushing the court like you should bring up an issue that you have on a time where it doesn't look like you're acting out of emotion or anger like um when matt painter was talking about how Rutgers is rushing the court mm-hmm. or not Rutgers, um nebraska and yeah. it's like oh someone could get hurt it's like you bring up these issues when you don't, when they're not directly affecting you because you had a bad outcome. So yeah, um, it's it's bad looks on Tang and Hot Rod. So God, they're both bad, but I would still probably say Hot Rod. Yeah, I'll, I do want to say kudos, like kudos to Jamie Dixon too. Like it, it's it's fun being a TCF fan because yeah. you know he could have lashed out of anger like with the Dickinson the play the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he was like, "Oh, that's just ball." You know, you got to take it to the chin at the end of the day. And yeah, so I'm glad Tang or Hot Rod are not my coaches. Yeah, um, I think the last thing on the horns down because it's funny to talk about, but I think the Big Twelve is for whatever reason has made it their job to protect Texas from the horns down thing. And if I had to bet, I I would say the SEC will not care so texas is gonna have to find a way to not let it i don't know bother them so much but the other thing about tang 
I don't know if you saw yesterday at the Kansas Iowa State game, which was also in Iowa State. All of the Iowa State fans got their phones out and their flashlights on or their flashes on and were recording the Kansas huddle, which I thought was just so awesome. And uh just kind of showed like my question is what is recording a huddle even really doing? Because it's such yeah, a I know. game. Like what do you like when when Kansas State leaves the huddle and does whatever they talked about in the huddle, you find out what they were talking about in the huddle. You know, like I don't really understand what filming would do, but um, I guess we got some sign stealing scandal in college basketball too this year. Yeah, Connor Salians put in an agenda to <laughs> to all coaches all around that yeah. you can't record anything. It's it's gonna get out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess plays, but basketball, it's not as much schemes and stuff like you just kind of go out there and play and yeah. uh, eventually people are going to know your plays from just studying simple film that everybody's access to so mm-hmm. it's an extremely weak look on tang and you just can't be lasting out at that as when he's looked at one of the best coaches in the country to be honest yeah i also loved how i love tj Alzerberger, one of my favorite coaches and i love how he handled it seemed to handle it well yeah um all right let's go to um let's talk about kansas because kansas just lost to Iowa State on the road, which is a tough place to play. But they're now four and three in conference. You have a stat that this is the first time they've got they've started four and three or the worst conference start in the Bill Self era. Is that right? Yeah. I wow. mean, three losses in the first seven games is is not at Kansas's level. For I sure. think it just shows you how tough this league is. But I've got a so we've talked a lot about Kansas here and the problems that they have, as well as the you know, the obvious, the obvious talent that they have, but I've got a stat for you um, about for this it. Iowa state game. So they lost to Iowa state 79 to 75. Can you, and you may have seen this already, but if you had to guess how many points do you think Kansas's bench scored? God, they scored 75. Wasn't it like, team. didn't they have like one bucket or something? Yeah. Parker Brown scored two points. Yeah. That is it. And, and everyone... the other, yeah, the game against Cincinnati, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they had zero. Oh my god! Like, really? They had one. Kansas had one field goal scored from their bench in this whole week in two games this week. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, the fact that Marco um, Jackson had two free throws yeah. off the bench against Cincinnati, but there's a, yeah, so four total points, one bucket score in the last two games off the bench for the Jayhawks, and that goes into a lot of what we've been saying about the concerns we have with them. But, I mean, that was shocking to me. Yeah, it makes you go back to the start of the year and how in the hell they were AP ranked one coming into the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get the star power, but the bench is so alarming and they've got to stay healthy. I'm sure they're... They've gotten lucky, yeah. Don't you think that they were expecting to get something from El Marco Jackson? Yeah. He's been nothing. And Nick Timberlake, yeah, sure. I thought was going to be a guy that he was a big time transfer get, and he, you know, he was this guy at wherever he was, one of those. I think Towson. Towson. He was. He was like yeah. an awesome shooter, and now he's not doing anything. I'm sure you expected to get more from El Marco Jackson and Nick Timberlake, but you haven't really gotten that yet. And no, for sure. And also, um, Joseph Yesifu, who was a decent mm-hmm. guard for them, has been out for the year. So, um, I guess that's a thing. But I mean, he wasn't that great the past couple of years. But you definitely expected more out of five star El Marco and Nick Timberlake. Like, you see transfers out of the smaller schools that are shooters like that all the time. 
be well. Like I, I alluded to um, Dalton Connect over at Tennessee. Yeah, he's the transfer from Western Colorado, and he's balling for them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they were kind of similar status coming out of those score guys at their smaller schools, and you definitely expected Timberlake to adjust better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we've been kind of right on this team throughout the year. They're just thin, and they, they're going to lose games. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I always say it's not a bad loss, and they did beat Cincy earlier in the week. So, mm-hmm. again, to they're rephrase, good. they're not bad. But, yeah. yeah, for Kansas standards, this is a bad team. Yeah, the thing is, like, their their star power is probably without a doubt the best in the country. Like, they have, you know, Dickinson and McCuller. Those two, that's the best duo we have in the whole country. 100%, um, yeah. So their star power is going to make them look really good at times. Like, when Hunter and – McCuller can, you know, give you like 20 a piece and then your bench does, you know, all, all you really need is like, I don't know, like three or four buckets from your bench and Kansas would be in a better spot. But I don't think you're going to get that with the bench pieces that they have. And um, like, they're really good. They're still really good. They're 17 in Ken Palm. Uh, I don't know what they are in net. Let me see. But it's just, yeah, it's different. It's they're not the number one team like people thought they were in, in preseason. Okay, yeah. they're they're fourteenth in in net, so they're like, yeah, they're a top twenty team. We knew that, probably top fifteen team, but as far as Kansas teams go, and as far as the expectations we had on this team, um, a bit alarming, I would say. Yeah, and um, shout out Johnny Furphy too because he was I mean he's been put in the starting lineup and he has stepped up as that yeah. kind of freshman that they needed. Um so I guess they got that from him. But yeah, their bench is tough. So um I'm super they're probably the team I'm I'm more interested in watching than um any other team when it comes to the tournament because I think it could go south or you know Dickinson and McCullough could give you like sixty combined points a game and they could just, mm-hmm. you could just ride them to the final four or something i don't think that'll happen but, yeah um i'm just super interested to see where this kansas team goes and and what happens with them probably yeah. more than any other team so they get two home games which for them is just huge because we know about the the stuff at their arena that goes on but so they yeah. get oklahoma state and they get houston which is just maybe the biggest game of the year yeah, I mean, they probably get, one of the biggest you could have. They also go on the road to Houston last game of the regular season. But this week, next Saturday, it is in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, that'll be really, really fun. Interesting to see, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's interesting because Ken Palm has them projected to go 10-8 and eight in finishing mm-hmm. conference. And it would just be so weird seeing 10-8 and eight on yeah. uh, the Kansas conference record when it comes to the end of the year and them not yeah. being – you know, top three or whatever it is. So it's crazy. Um, Houston, they're playing they're playing Houston at home. And Ken Palm has Houston winning by six points, which is a much bigger uh yeah. point differential than I had expected. But that'll be a game to really Houston's watch. Houston's super if, good. Yeah. I'm just, excited for that one. Yeah. Kansas's offense, can they handle Houston's defense? I mean, they're gonna I just feel like they're gonna have to get someone off the bench doing something, and that's just not gonna happen right now. Yeah, I mean, you can't go far in the tournament if you have one made field goal from your bench over the course of a week. So, yeah, um, definitely alarming for Kansas, and I would I would panic a little bit if I was a Kansas fan. Yeah, 
Okay. Um, in or out? This week's in or out. We'll start with Kansas State. Are they in or outside of the bubble for you right now? K-State is insanely off of the bubble, I think, for me. Um, they they had such a tough week, and they were both not winnable games. But we talked about this last week, how they kind of had a decent start, but they hadn't really played those tough teams in the Big 12 yet. Well, they arguably played the two toughest teams of the Big 12 on the road, and they um, they lost pretty handily in both those games at Iowa State and at Houston. So mm-hmm. they had a rough non-conference and um they were on the bubble team to begin with starting last year but two losses in a row as of right now i would keep k-state um firmly off the bubble they're 65 in ken palm um i don't know where they're at in net but i got it they're 74 in net yeah so there you go i mean point blank that's not a tournament team as it stands right now in my opinion yeah, their offense is bad. Their offense is 131st in adjusted efficiency in Kimpom. They got a good defense, but they're just not – yeah, they're not good. We we were kind of on this from the beginning. They're just not that good. Um, You know, they have – I think they expected a lot from the pieces that they brought in. Obviously losing, you know, the guys that they lost. Um, You know, it's hard to – it's hard to lose your best two players on an elite eight team and then come back and expect anything close to what, you know, what you had. And it's clearly kind of a rebuilding year and they're just not very good. Yeah. And, and now they're making a lot of themselves calling out Iowa state fans. So. Yeah, exactly. And arguably three best players. They're in Naquan. Yeah. In that team team too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you probably you wanted Tyler Perry to be more consistently better because he was one of the best transfers in the country and he he can put up big numbers if he's on fire and Cam Carter is good. Like they have pieces that are talented that is going to compete in the Big 12. And mm-hmm. Tang, you know, we talked about he's he's still a really good coach no matter how, yeah. um, no matter his antics, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just not a tournament team right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, I agree. We're, we're both outside of the bubble with Kansas. What about Texas? Texas is one of those teams that keeps kind of they're, – they're like pinballing around. They yeah. they lose their opening Big 12 game to, to Texas Tech. They go on the road, beat Cincinnati on a buzzer beater, uh, lose to West Virginia and UCF back-to-back, then beat Baylor and Oklahoma back-to-back, and then lose to BYU on the road yesterday. They're a weird team. They're 38 and – Ken Palm and they are, let me see. They 42 and net. net. Okay, yeah, 42 and net. So they're right around the bubble. They're they're much closer to the bubble than Kansas State is, but um I don't know. Baylor and Oklahoma were big wins for them. And if they could have, you know, somehow managed to get BYU on the road, it you know, they'd be you know, their resume would be set. But right now I'd still go like right on the bubble, probably just outside of it. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I think it's it's super close. I mean, winning two out of three of home Baylor at Oklahoma, the way that they did just dominating that game and then mm-hmm. um, losing it at BYU is, is such a tough place to play. And, you know, we talked about the Horns down saga, which is going on there. So maybe yeah. that got in their heads. But um, mm-hmm. no, I mean, that's a successful three games for them and they've definitely put themselves in a better position but I still don't think they've done enough yet and I I just straight up don't think that they're that great of a team that they're gonna make the tournament I would say they have Mm -hmm. such a tough schedule coming up this week and 
you know, we'll preview the TCU game a little bit more, but um, they they have Houston at home. They, they go to TCU, then they're at home against Iowa State, which are all mm-hmm. super tough teams. So I, I they'll probably drop some of those, and, um, yeah, they'll probably fall off the bubble even a little bit more. But, yeah, yeah super close, but I still think they're out. The back-to-back losses to West Virginia and UCF are not going to look good on any resume. But the way they respond to that, they get, you know, they have Baylor, Oklahoma, BYU, uh, two of those on the road. And they win two out of three of them, which is, I think, exactly what you kind of want. Obviously, you'd like to win three of three, but I think they handled the – they bounced back well enough. But, I, yeah, I still think they're just outside. But they do have – I mean, this week they have a great opportunity to uh, get back on the bubble um, or in it. They, you know, you said Houston, TCU, Iowa State. They get, you know, uh, two Saturdays from now, not this Saturday, but next. They get West Virginia again, which they'll want to – beat them this time around but they have a chance to either you know fall more out or or climb their way back in which is i guess right where you want to be you kind of control your own destiny so um i yeah. was impressed it's with the response but yeah. yeah they're still outside i think it's interesting because they have the talent to be a really good team but mm-hmm. um i personally just don't think ronnie terry's done that great of a job with this group and yeah. um that's kind of been shown recently all right last one before we talk some TCU basketball, Cincinnati. Um, they're, I feel like they're kind of in They're They're even maybe comfortably in right now. They, they did lose to Oklahoma and Kansas, which is tough. They're three and four in the big 12, but they have decent wins. They're 31st in Ken Palm. Let me see what they are. And they're 32 in net. So their metrics are good. They have wins over BYU, TCU, UCF, they're right there, and I I would lean in for them. I like their team. Yeah, I think I had them barely in last week, and then um, they just took care of business this week. You know, losing at Kansas is nothing to be really ashamed of if you're it was Cincinnati. Yeah, um, yeah, they battled to the end there, and they they might have even have the lead. I think for a bit in that game, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then they beat UCF at home. So you know chalk week for them i would say nothing great nothing yeah. bad but um because of that and i had them barely in last week i would i would keep them barely in this week but yeah um they're they're probably the most team to watch mm. them in texas i would say when it comes to the when it comes to the bubble of mm. like these games every single game is going to mean so much and can dictate whether they're in or out so uh well when they're on tv i'm, I'm definitely going to make a point to to watch them closely yeah, they're a fun group, and they beat TCU. We were obviously watching that game closely, and it was a bad loss for TCU, but I was more impressed with the win for Cincinnati. They look good, and they're kind of a scrappy team. Um, we were mentioning – we were talking about home court advantages in the Big 12. This week they play West Virginia, which West Virginia I think has the second best home court advantage in all of college basketball. Then they play Texas Tech, who has the best home court advantage in college basketball, back-to-back um so a really really tough week coming up here if they could split those games that would be good for them i think you know maybe beat west virginia and see what happens against uh texas tech but um a tough week for them for sure and they're gonna want to i would not want to drop both those games because then then they'd be going to play houston next saturday um you know having lost well like four or five so they're going to want to win one of those, but a good opportunity for them again. And I like their team. I, I like that group a lot. 
Yeah, I do think they're good too. So I, I think both those games are winnable for them. Like yep. they probably should be West Virginia. Um, and you know that Tech game is gonna be super close. So yeah, it, it it'll be a a fun week for Cincinnati. Yeah. All right. Let's um, let's go ahead and take a quick break and come right back and do TCU basketball. Let's do it. All right, we're back. What a week it was, Nick. Um, T and two and O, the frogs go two and O. Kind of a roller coaster of a week, you know. A weird game against Oklahoma State where it did not look good for a while, but they climbed out of it. And then a really fun game, I would say the the game of the year for college basketball against Baylor yesterday. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? We can start with Oklahoma State if you want, but just general thoughts on the week TCU has going two and O, um, like that. Yeah, unbelievable week. You know, we were talking last week how they were back on the bubble and they were, I think, the last team in bracketology going into that Baylor game. And as I said before, that Baylor game was seriously, like, that was an amazing atmosphere, one of the best games you'll ever see. I mean, Triple O, it would look like it was never going to end, back and forth, high scoring. That was amazing. Um, Yeah, we can, we'll get to that soon. Let's let's talk about the Oklahoma State game real fast, too, because that was also a big one. All right, so they yeah, so they go on the road to Oklahoma State, which we've mentioned it many times. It's always tough to go on the road in the Big Twelve, and it starts out really rough. They don't look very good. Um, Oklahoma State jumps up to a pretty big lead. They're not missing any shots. They're not turning the ball over, and you know you lose that game if your TCU. Things start to get a little bit hairy and. But they pulled it out. So what what were your um as you were watching that game kind of unfold, what were your reactions and thoughts to the slow start that TCU had? Was there did you know, did yeah. you panic? Um yeah, I mean, I think you kind of had to. I don't know what it was exactly. It, but I mean, they were up 17, I think, at a point. They're up 33 to 16. Um, when you're down 17 to any team in the Big 12, especially on the road, it's super tough. I think they started off. 0 of 8 from 3 um, and Oklahoma State was or yeah at halftime they were 0 of 8 from 3 and Oklahoma State was 5 of 12 so that was killing him um, Tennyson had an off night he only had 5 points but when they needed stops you know they they got him they got going there wasn't any turnovers in this game which is funny because Iowa State mm. the game they're coming off was the complete opposite they had 9 turnovers Oklahoma State had 5 so it was a pretty well played game. Um, you know they shot super, they shot well from any everything at, outside of two pointers. Emmanuel Miller was unstoppable. Um, mm-hmm. Once he started getting going, uh, I think teams they really fed off him. And then Avery mm-hmm. Anderson late in the game, you know, got um he had a big go ahead three late in the fourth. He in his revenge game, he had a big block late. Uh, Micah Peavy was awesome in transition. Um, just getting to the bucket bucket and. They came together when they needed, and this is a game that you should win if you want to be a tournament team because um, Oklahoma State has proven that they're they're one of the bottom feeders in the Big 12. So big props to this. Um, when you get down that early, it's it's tough to battle back sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, it was massive. Xavier Cork was great off the bench too, I should add. Yeah, when I was, was going to mention that. Yeah, that was his um, season high, I believe. He, he tied it, so – that scoring off the bench from a big man when our big men, especially our backups, have been weak for the most part of the year. Him mm. stepping up and adding nine on perfect shooting was um was massive for us. So mm. great team win and um 
it was it was a great bounce back from the last two losses that we've had. Because if you lose three straight, I mean, you start to really panic, and yeah. the morale goes down for sure. So big time yeah. win. Yeah. Um. An interesting way to look at like the big man situation is so in this game against Oklahoma State, Ernest Duda Jr. played 13 minutes, Cork played 14, so that's 27 total minutes for your center position essentially you know mustafa played two minutes but we'll exclude him for now just look at these two combined their combined stat line would be nine points and seven boards which is like you know it doesn't work like that you can't like combine players but if you're thinking of it like as those two guys tag teaming your present your center position nine and seven is a pretty good game so i was i was pleased with cork stepping up when uday wasn't really i mean he didn't he took one shot so um it didn't you know, it wasn't indicative of his offensive talent or anything, but Cork was four, four, nine points. Like you said, season high, two blocks and Uday had seven boards and an assist. So you can, you put those two lines together, you know, you get 27 minutes out of those two guys, you know, 9.7 boards and, and two blocks. So that's an interesting way to look at it when, you know, they split time like that. Yeah, Jamie just usually rides with a hot hand, I think. And for the most part, it's been Uday throughout the year. He's probably been the best of all three yeah. big men for sure. Um, but also to note in this game, uh, E-Man had his season high in rebounds in his first double-double of the year with 21 and 11. So mm -hmm. he was really big as playing that big man. Oklahoma State, we kind of had a small team, and um, Garrison for them got in foul trouble early, so they were kind of going smaller. And E-Man matched that by being one of the – bigger big man on the court he played all 40 minutes in the game which was massive uh, for what they wanted to do by allowing mm -hmm. him to stay in there um so props to him for picking up that that more big man role than he usually plays and he was amazing but yeah cork stepped up it's the big man's definitely as we've learned i think the weak point of this team so if you have mm -hmm. a performance like that like even you know nine points for one of the bigs and solid play then then you can put a victory on that and you like I'll I'll take nine points from one of the big men every game if if you offer me to that or more over anything else. So Absolutely. I'll take that and that's I mean every Big 12 win is massive and being on the road in in a um a tough environment up there is is big time. Emmanuel Miller also had four assists which tied the team high with Avery Anderson. They both had four. So he was doing a little bit of everything and they needed him to do a little bit of everything with the hole they got into. But, yeah, another really, really good game for him. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a game you want to win, and it was definitely questionable for a while. But if you look at the stats, it really doesn't even look as close as it was. TCU shot 52% from the field. They did only shoot 20% from three, but they're, you know, they out-rebounded Oklahoma State by 10 they um had more assists they had more blocks they had 26 more points in the paint so really they if you just look at it look at it on paper they dominated the game and i think if you take out like what the first 10 minutes maybe you know it's not a close game at all so i love yeah. the way they responded they could have it would it would have been really easy for them to you know start trying to chuck terrible shots up and hero ball you know to get back in the game but they played kind of their basketball and at one point like i knew when they were down their their largest margin i had just had a feeling like this is not the this game is crazy like 
you know, Oklahoma State's not turning the ball over, which they do, and they're going to. They're not missing any threes. So I tried to go live bet it, but the it was such a big lead, I guess, at the time that they didn't even have the number on for TCU, so I couldn't. But I knew yeah. I knew that TCU was going to come back, so big bummer there. But, um, yeah, solid win. Those are the type of wins you need to get. Yeah, um, as we've seen, too, like the slow starts have been a theme for TCU, but they really haven't hurt them yet, which mm-hmm. they was probably going to at some point. But um, So you don't really panic because th- this team can put on runs that can – yeah, I mean they they put on some of the fastest runs in the country with how yeah. fast they run and they get out quick. And another thing too that made the score look closer is that um Oklahoma State shot the shot free throws better than them. They got six more points from free throws and a pretty similar amount of attempts, which has been a theme for TCU too, as we've seen mm-hmm. um over and over again with free throws. But yeah, uh good win. Start off slow, you bounce back quick. But if you're down, I'm, we can talk about the Baylor game. Yeah, let's talk Baylor. You were there, so you started off. How was it? How was the, I guess, just atmosphere of that game? Yeah, the the atmosphere was impressive. Like, it was pretty loud. It was packed from the start. Um, def, Probably the biggest game, for sure, in Foster Pavilion so far, the, their new arena. Um, I know mm. a lot of people at home were complaining about the camera angles. The cameras Jolly. were high up there. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. I liked all the memes going on on, on, on X about that, um, which is fun. <laughs> But in terms of excitement, I mean, you got thrilling basketball for, 50, what is it, 55, 65 minutes? Um, mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy, crazy game. Jameer Nelson, 30 points, game winner. Uh, Jacoby Walter at a buzzer beater, double OT. I don't even know where to start with this game because it's so back and forth. Like, Ease Misi dropped 25 for them for Baylor. Ray J dropped 24 you know so much scoring I mean when you have a game that ends in 105 102 it is insane like it was a massive one for TCU and just an all-time classic you knew you know right as it was going on so what were your thoughts about this game my thoughts was my thoughts were that it was the best game of the year one of the best college basketball games I've seen it seems like every time Baylor and TCU play it's awesome like I can think of you know, the Desmond Bain game a couple years ago. Think of the Chuck O'Bannon. Maybe we should start with Chuck O'Bannon. Like, what a what a baller. What yeah. I mean, he hit every single big shot that they needed him to hit. And, you know, his role this season has not been a large role, really. He comes off the bench and plays, like, I don't know what how many minutes per game he's averaging or anything, but he's not playing a lot. But in this game, he played 23 minutes. He was out there for – it was kind of him and uh, – Tennyson switching off in the overtimes. Um, Avery Anderson, I don't think, played in the overtime. So uh, Chuck O'Bannon was huge. Uh, was four of six, three of four from threes, and every single one of those threes was a massive three. Yeah, Chuck O'Bannon owns Waco. Like, that's just what yeah. I've I've come to, to realize. Mm-hmm. Chuck O'Bannon is one of the most fascinating – like TCU athletes I guess because he's had such like he's on year seven now former mm-hmm. five-star all-american SC you know he's, he's been on 26 TCU four years. I didn't realize yeah. he was 26 he's like one of the oldest players in college basketball mm-hmm. um and you're right he really hasn't played minutes for this TCU team all year but mm-hmm. one thing to know about like you can just never write off Chuck O'Bannon because he'll have zero points for for five games, then he'll just have the most clutch shot and maybe drop like a 20 piece. 
in a yeah. March game or something, you know. We got Chuck O'Marts, Chuck O'Baylor, all these <laughs> Chuck, um, Chuck, I don't know, nicknames for him. But he's just he's just an all-time TCU athlete that I think fans will not never forget because he shows up in big moments regardless of what he does on an every night basis. And just mm-hmm. just props to Chuck for being ready and he hit yeah. I mean he didn't miss, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he, he hit didn't. big three after big three after big three. And it was just um it was awesome to watch from the start for sure. It's, but it's we funny because so many performances. Yeah. He loves playing Baylor, but it's funny, like when he gets the ball and he shoots it, he has like an interesting shot, um, like a interesting looking shot where like he shoots it and I'm like, okay, that's that's not going in. And then it like hits nothing but the net. And it's always a massive shot, and it always seems to be against Baylor. Like people in Waco have got to be sick of him. But yeah, you said it, man. Props to staying ready. Like he he did not have a big role leading into this game, and and just a huge breakout performance for him. Another breakout performance, perhaps the biggest one we've seen at TCU is Jameer Nelson Jr. Kind of returning to form, like at Delaware he was a scorer. Like he was the guy, he, his career high is 39. I checked yesterday. He scored 39. Uh, he scored 30 once at Delaware. Like he's a scorer. And, and yesterday he, he displayed that he had, he was 11 of 18, seven of eight from the free throw line. One of three from three had 30 points, four steals, uh, two assists, like just what a game for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's been off recently too, which has been yeah. fascinating to watch because I, you know, he lost his starting spot. He hasn't played more than twenty six minutes um, coming in, and he hasn't dropped more than thirteen points in the past, like, God, since was he hasn't dropped more than thirteen points. Yeah, well, um, against Old Dominion in in the Hawaii tournament, so he oh, hasn't, yeah. yeah, yeah, he hasn't had a. a really a good game since then so he stayed ready and you're right he he just I think once the game started going on you know you throw all the nerves out of the way and he's just playing ball like he was hitting every single mid-range there was a point in the second half when um because I think he only had like four first half points but there's a point in the second half where we kept going it was like we were down like six to ten in that range, and we just kept mm-hmm. hanging around. And that was mainly due to Jameer, because Jameer kept taking these guards one on one. And we talked about the Baylor guard play being some of the best in the nation. He kept taking them one on one, and just hitting these mid range shots and getting to the bucket. Like he's mm-hmm. not a three point shooter, but he's just stayed consistent with what he's good at, and he was making every single mid range. And he was clutch, and he hit the game winner. It was just an amazing performance too. Again, a guy who. You know, I lost starting spot, stayed ready, and then when the time come, we had to go through him because he was our best offensive player throughout the night, and mm-hmm. he delivered over and over and over again. Yeah. Against Oklahoma State, he played 16 minutes and scored three points. Against Baylor, he scored 42 – I mean, he played 42 minutes and scored 30 points. So just a crazy um, – you know, you have both ends of the spectrum with him in, in one week. And I'm curious what you think, like – for me, at least, even with this performance, I like him coming off the bench. I think that's something they need, like just kind of a um, like a fire, like a, I don't know, a firework off the bench would be huge for them. And he's not going to do that every game, but I bet it's safe to say he's 
you know, as confident as, as he's been all season right now. And I think bringing off the bench is the, is the play still. For sure. I like that. I mean, the only reason he got that many minutes in that first position is because Avery Anderson had four fouls and Trey Tennyson had four fouls. Yeah. They're your two starting guards who actually weren't even playing bad. Like uh, Avery had six points, five assists um, before he was in foul trouble. And Trey Tennyson was keeping us in the game at the start. He had 15 on four threes. Like he, he was the first guy to really be a catalyst in the offense to to keep us from having that uh, a real slow start um so he was just kind of thrust in that position automatically because he needed to be and um he showed to the coaching staff that you know he was the number one option at Delaware being one of the best scorers in the nation mm-hmm. and he just kind of got back to his roots of just playing loosely playing his game getting to his spots he was even seven of eight from the line hitting clutch free throws um you know, he was massive, and you can't say enough about what he he yeah. meant to this win and sure. one of the best TCU basketball performances there is, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another guy who had a big game, which, you know, he's always having big games, but Emmanuel Miller had 21 points. I think he had five rebounds, two assists, but he played 53 of the 55 possible minutes. Like, what a – what a warrior that guy is just yeah huge 53 minutes and zero fouls that's what yeah like that is an and everyone else in the starting lineup had four fouls each and he was the only one yeah and Eman never gets in foul trouble which is massive because you want him to play as many minutes as possible because he is your best Mm -hmm. player and he's Mm -hmm. just super dependable uh, he was played 53 minutes and he gets in the postgame presser and has as much energy as there is talking about how how much he loves the school and how much he loves his guys. But mm-hmm. in terms of on the basketball court, you know, 21 points again. And I loved how aggressive he was. Uh, he wasn't shying away from anybody. They'd run pick plays and he'd get a switch and he'd just call for the ball and kind of post them up and hit a little baby hook. And um, he was in all he didn't even shoot a three, but he was just he was finishing all his layups. He was being super aggressive and he just plays as hard as anybody. Um, yeah, again, 21 points from, from E-Man. He does it night in and night out, and he, he's just unreal. I don't know what more to say about what he means yeah. to this team and, and how much they depend on him to be to be that go-to guy. Yeah, he's played 93 minutes this week. That's just insane. That's yeah. an insane amount of minutes. And Yeah, I mean, he's, he's an amazing shape. averaging 21, yeah. 21 a game in those two games. So, yeah, he's... He's such a beast, really. Yeah, he's insane. Um, one the last guy I want to highlight too from individual performances, Micah, you know, 18 yeah. points was finishing yeah. well. He hit like as much missed free throws as we can talk about, which I think is kind of overrated. I mean, they shot 71%. It wasn't that bad. I saw a lot of fan things about how bad free throw was. Um, but it really wasn't as bad as it looked, I would say. Um, might get too clutch. I think in triple overtime. I don't know. All the overtimes get get all blended mixed in, yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of getting the turnovers, getting out of transition, it really wasn't that big of a turnover game as well. I mean, when you have a triple overtime game that TCU at 13 and Baylor at 17, there wasn't a crazy amount. But mm. Mike was getting out of transition. He was getting big steals. And look, when he dunks in turn, like he's – He's so built well, and as a defender, going on all these top-tier guards, like making Jacoby have a rough night, he was on Jalen Bridges a little bit. Um, mm. He he's 
Emmanuel Miller talked about it in the game. He's one of the best defenders in the country, and Absolutely. that just proves night in and night out. And when he can give you 18 on the offensive end, I mean, that's so much more than what even you need out of him. Um, he was amazing. So those five guys, I think, were were crucial to this game. And um, mm-hmm. you can't ask – I mean, you needed all five of them to step up and just the whole team, to be honest. It was a complete team effort, but – it was, I mean, it was in a real game that you needed unreal performances for, and you got them from so many different guys on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we had to, you know, bring this team back down to earth a little bit, the the problem that they've had is big man, and they struggled again with big man. Missy had 25, nine rebounds. He was 10 of 14. He played a really good game. He missed that one, uh, like, essentially give me a layup to, I think, take yeah. the lead or tie it up or something, but he was awesome um is i mean that's still a problem big guys are um you know taking advantage of the weakness that TCU has and defending them what do you think like is that just something they're going to have to deal with or what what adjustments do you see that can be made yeah well, one thing what that was big about that game is that all they kept doing was a simple pick and roll with Ray J Dennis and um Emisi mm-hmm. for the most part like Scott Drew knew how to attack these big men and covering that um like we were getting confused in the pick and roll like Uday was getting confused x isam i mean they didn't play that much Uday played 28 minutes but yeah we were getting confused and we just kept losing missy down low ray j kept finding him i mean they both played amazing games so kudos to them but you're gonna need to have better big man play uh i think Uday was good at times you know he had a big block late and yeah. he had some crucial he- rebounds yeah he was definitely the best of the big man but you're if teams can figure out a way to exploit you in, in a simple pick and roll, and that's going to be an issue for this team. Yeah. Another issue that um, I thought, I mean, when in that double overtime, when you're up three with, I don't know, five seconds left or whatever it was, I would like to have fouled Jacoby Walters. I was going yeah. to bring this up and see what you thought about that. Cause I saw a lot of this on Twitter. So you, yeah. you would have fouled. I'm always a foul up yeah. three guy. Cause it's just, I mean, it's kind of the lame move, but it's the smart one. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You can't be letting one of the best freshmen, probably the best NBA talent in college basketball, that wide open. He was wide For open. a three. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's going to make that. I mean, he had an off night, but he's 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 going to make that shot more than not. Um, so you got a foul there, I would think, to be smarter down, down uh, late crucial in the game. But yeah, what's yeah. your take on that? I think, I mean, it's a smart thing to do. I always went, you know, when my team's not involved, I'm always all right. Like if I'm, I'm just casually watching, I'm always all right with letting it play out because you get yeah. big shots like that. I but yeah, agree, I mean, yeah, it's the smart thing to do. You, you send them to the line and you know, at most they get two, two points instead of the, the possible three to tie it up. So I I'm with you there. I think that it's the smart play. Uh, thankfully it didn't end up hurting TCU, but I wonder if, you know, if we see a situation like that again, Jamie will tell him to foul. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, they adjust it, it all. Yeah, it's because when you're watching neutral, you just want to see crazy stuff happen, and mm-hmm. you know you got all the crazy stuff in this game. But yeah, when it's your team, yeah, it's it's the lame move. It's boring. It's but it's it's smart and it helps you win games. So I would like mm-hmm. to see that moving forward as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we talked about how how good of a game it was how good this conference is i saw a stat on the broadcast it was like 40 percent of all the big 12 games this year have been decided by five points or fewer 
It's just crazy. Like pretty much every night you're you're guaranteed to have this uh you know an amazing game. And I thought that stat was just insane. And this game, three overtimes, like it does not get better in college basketball. I I was not there, but I imagine it was as close as you were gonna get to like a March Madness type atmosphere, which is huge for TCU to experience those before you hopefully get there. But I mean, I just I mean it watching a game like that makes you remember why you love college basketball. It's just awesome. For sure. Uh E-Man even said after the game, he's like, I felt like a the March Madness game versus Arizona and we're yeah. only in January. Like we have so much, you know, another month and two months of um of crazy college basketball play. And to your point about the Big Twelve, every game of the Big Twelve is is gonna be a war and must see TV almost. Um it's crazy what these games have produced and it it really is, you know, it's it's some of the best um action you can get out of live sports, I really think. Um that game was insane. The atmosphere is crazy. It really did like when Jacoby Walter at the three, it got super loud and you know, it got super quiet. Obviously mm-hmm. with a rivalry game like that too with TCU Baylor, it gets escalated more. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think how many crazy games TCU has played. Um in basketball, yes, but even just crazy in the like you know the past two three years, like we had, we talked about with Austin in, in the interview more about you know crazy you know we, we upset Kansas we upset Tech we rushed the court against UT last year like this TCU team plays crazy fun games um and we've been lucky to be on the right side of a lot of them so it's just been awesome to see as a fan and that game was as awesome as it gets. Mm-hmm. Before we go and preview the next this week's games for TCU, what do you what are your thoughts on Baylor? Because they're they've now lost three straight. Does this change your tune on Baylor at all, or is that just two really good teams playing a really great game? I I still think Baylor's really good. Um, you know they their last three games have been crazy. Like I don't like Baylor. The last three games have been crazy unfortunate for them. They lose that overtime game to Kansas State. They mm-hmm. lose on that Tyrese Hunter game winner to Texas, and then they lose a triple overtime thriller where, you know, the bounce of a ball could could change the outcome in all three of these games. So um, I still think they're really good. They've, their defense has actually stepped up a little bit. Um, obviously, allowing 105 isn't good to TCU, but, like, yeah, there was their defense, and their defense is still going to be their Achilles heel. But they have the talent where they can be um, – a top team, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't worry too much about Baylor as I would about other teams in the big 12 necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're probably, I don't know, top four or five. Yeah. I would say, I would say them, Houston, Iowa state, Kansas, uh, maybe BYU on the cusp of that, of being just being dangerous teams as, mm-hmm. as we see later on. So I wouldn't read too much then this bit. If they're Baylor, it is tough because, yeah. Uh, awesome saying on the interview too like we the interview was shot before the Baylor game it was on yeah. Friday so um we were talking about how Baylor just doesn't lose three straight conference games and it's, it would be super tough to beat him and they were at a week of rest so that's just it's kudos more to the TCU win than I think the Baylor loss in this scenario yeah I agree I agree um yeah it's just like um I'm not worried about it. Like, I agree with you. I'm not worried about them though. I thought that was just like two really good teams playing really good basketball. And there are definitely moments throughout the game and throughout the three overtimes where both teams can say like, 
if we did this, we would have won, you know, like if TCU made a free throw, um, they wouldn't have gone to three overtimes if Baylor, um, you know, if Baylor does a couple things like they had, a, they had, they looked like the better team for a lot of like the second and third overtime, but TCU was able to keep responding. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just two, two really good teams playing a good game and, um, it's, it was just fun. Like those, we talk about those missed free throws that TCU had. Um, but I think that's kind of what makes college basketball like funny and such a fun sport to watch in the NBA. You're probably not getting guys missing free throws to like as much as TCU does to, to like when, you know, when you have a chance to win, I think that's what makes college basketball awesome is that crazy stuff happens and just like you can get three overtime games. So, um, just a, I thought it was just a great game played by two really good teams. Yeah, it's just a reminder that, I mean, college sports are the best. Like, you yeah, don't get the this best. type of entertainment from any other league, any other, yeah, you know, things. And especially college basketball, just being so fast-paced and back and forth. I mean, it, the ending comes up on you fast, and you get big plays after big plays. And this is just one of those moments where you're just like, you know, live sports are awesome. And yeah college sports specifically so just just an all-time game like even if tcu lost it would have been an all-time game but mm-hmm. um insane and yeah i can't even like yeah i can't even begin to think about this game because so much happened like after the game i couldn't even remember every single overtime but i probably have yeah. to watch the highlights to remind me of what happened but yeah crazy awesome game and yeah. huge for tcu's resume yeah okay this week they played texas tech at home um on tuesday they play texas at home on saturday we'll start with texas tech we talked about texas tech earlier a lot they're you know when you look at the standings they are alone at the top they have lost one conference game um they're playing so you know it's a big matchup tcu now is 15 and 5 overall four and three of the big 12 they're actually seven points away from being seven and oh in the big 12 which is interesting um i'm excited for this game though like when these two teams play in any sport it's usually fun yeah this is going to be an awesome game i mean tech coming into your place when they're the number one team in the nation or the number one team of the big 12 um via standings it's going to be a chaotic atmosphere and um you know tech's tech's defense is a little bit weak i would say um they're they definitely rely on you know pop isaacs and their guys to have big offensive games and just just pull a lot from there. Uh, they played a slower pace at TCU, which kind of worries me because you have to try to get them to play your game. Um, it's going to be a super tough game, as we've said, as every Big 12 team is, but them being first place coming in. Um, you know, I think go either way. Uh, if I were to pick this game, I would say TCU would win. I think Tech is kind of riding high being first place in the nation. And, um, you know, they have a quick turnaround going, playing Tuesday here. And I think we take care of business. We're um we're hungry. We're you know, we're we're probably playing for more at this point. And that home court advantage of the Big Twelve just means so much that I think TCU's gonna pull out the win. Yeah, it'll be a good game, I think. Um right now Texas Tech is twenty six in Kim Palm, TCU's twenty one. So again, I think it'll just be two really good teams playing. Hopefully it doesn't go to four overtime, so Emmanuel Miller can maybe get a a couple minutes of rest but yeah i wonder at some point like after a week you had for tcu does fatigue play a factor in a game like this like i wonder what the yeah. 
like what the practice schedule is today, like today's Sunday for we're recording Sunday and then tomorrow, Monday before your Tuesday game. I wonder if, because like guys like Emmanuel Miller played almost a hundred minutes, if there's a difference in how you prepare, I'm I'm curious to see if fatigue at all plays a, plays a factor in, in these, this week's games. No, it definitely could. I mean, no one's used to playing triple overtime games and E man mm. specifically, as you noted, 53 minutes. I mean, Jameer played 42 guys aren't used to that. Um, hopefully two games, two days rest is enough, but you're right. That's a great point to, to add another factor into this game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go. Let's talk Texas uh, next before we make our official predictions. What do you think about this Texas team? You get them at home. This is actually, if I remember correctly, they're retiring Kenrich Williams number against Texas yes, on Saturday, yeah. which will be yeah. really cool. Um, so I'm sure it'll be a good atmosphere. A lot of people will be there. Um, it'll be Texas last time playing TCU as a big 12 school, I guess at TCU. So I mean, maybe you do like a home and home with them down the road. Actually, we talked about that with Austin, maybe play that at Dickies, but yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think about this game? I'm sure you know people are gonna want to be there to see Texas off. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm super excited for this game. Um, you know, getting tech Texas at home on a Saturday, you know, in February. It's it's their first road game since that's gonna be since the BYU thing with the horns down. So that's as high as it is right now. Um Barstool mm-hmm. has sent a lot of horns down shirts for students to wear. So we're gonna be decked out in and horns down gear. Uh, I know a lot of people are showing up for this game. It's going to be fiery. Um, it's going to be fun. I mean, Texas has the talent. Texas has the brand. It's 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 going to be musty TV. It's on regular ESPN. Um, to actually preview the basketball a little bit more, you know, Texas's defense is rough. I think you can attack Aismas with the guards. Aismas and Tyrese don't play that great of defense and i think you can get down low i do worry about their talent um they are a really good team but i just think tcu is better uh to be fair you know yeah they 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 play at a more unique pace i would say uh texas doesn't play slow per se but they they play at like a mid pace where tcu i think can push them faster texas turns the ball over a lot which plays into tcu's favor um you know, those guards are kind of loose with the ball and you can kind of attack them there. Uh, they're 194th actually in turnover in turnover percentage in the in the country. So, I mean, that's not good. TC is also not great either. So we can see, a, you know, a, a pretty fast-paced, fun, super fun game. Um, yeah, and we'll do the predictions later, but I, I think TC has got a pretty good shot here. All right. Um, yeah, I agree. Texas is, is such a weird team. Like, I can't really figure them out. They beat... Like like we mentioned earlier, they beat Baylor in Oklahoma and then they lose to like UCF West Virginia. So anything can happen when they play, and they're coming. They'll be coming off of um, what I presume will be a battle against Houston, uh, which is actually tomorrow. That'll be a fun game. Um, yeah, man, I think I'm excited to see like Ace Miss versus you know whoever whoever it is that. Maybe it's Jameer again. Maybe it's Emmanuel Miller. Like the scoring, I'm excited to see. Um, I just think like this is a big, this is a big. I mean, I'm sure if we look at it, I would say Houston beats Texas tomorrow, and then 
Texas maybe a little bit in a, in desperation mode, you know, not wanting to fall to three and six in conference play at that point. So stakes will be high, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely an exciting game. Really, really excited to see how TCU responds to another like really fun week. Last time they went 2-0, they they followed it up with two straight losses. So I'm curious how they handle the highs of this week and if they can carry it over. And again, fatigue is interesting. So there are a lot of interesting variables that I'll be watching for this week. But before we um, bring the Austin interview in, let's do our official predictions for this week. There's two games. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Um what yeah, in the Austin interview too, he said that TCU hasn't won three straight conference games in a long time. We have that a really good opportunity to do it here against two of our biggest rivals. I am going to ride high with TCU. I think, you know, I don't want to get caught picking against them again. And I, I really do believe that they're going to clean sweep this week. I think both atmospheres are going to be top notch. It's getting to that part of the year, you know, February fall where the home games are just every single one's electric. Um, I think we have the advantage in both of those two, and I think we're going to win both of them. Um, I think, you know, E-Man is going to have big games. I'm I'm optimist, super optimistically confident with both these games, and I, I think we can win both. I see us throwing the horns down. Maybe Rodney Terry gets um gets a little pissed at us on Saturday, which would be awesome. Maybe rile up Hot Rod, yeah. Exactly. I'm super excited, and yeah. I think we'll pull him out. These are the, two of the most exciting games on the schedule, just because anytime you play – Texas teams in the Big 12 it's it's just extra it means more I think to the players and to the fans and all that stuff so um I went with 2 and 0 last week I picked correctly I'm a little wary of the Texas Tech game honestly just because like I wonder how the fatigue will play in I wonder how Jamie deals with that but I'm not going to I'm not going to hop off now this is going to sound homerish of us but I'm going to go I'm going to I'm going to pick us to go 2 and 0 here as well get wins over Texas Tech and Texas. And, um, you know, I think they're going to need these wins. The good thing is when you talk about fatigue, they play Texas next Saturday, then they get the whole week off before they have to go to Hilton Head and play um, Iowa State. So the rest will come there. But I'm a little worried about the Texas Tech game, honestly, more worried about that than the Texas game. But I'll I'll pick them to go 2-0 as well. Hell yeah. I like that. Yeah. Hopefully we don't um, sound dumb, but yeah, maybe a bit, confident. a bit, a bit homerish, a bit, you know, whatever you want to call it. But I think TCU is really good and they continue to win huge games. So I'm excited to sure. see how they ride that. Definitely. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a, let's take a little break and we'll bring Austin in. And um, that's a fun interview. So stick around with us for that. Definitely. Must see an interview there. All right. We'll be back. All right. Now we have a special interview for you guys. Um, we have Austin Flanagan. He is he was a TCU student from 2018 to 2022 in communication sports broadcasting. He actually ran Barstool TCU, which is big for getting fan involvement and all that kind of stuff. Um, from 2020 to 2022, worked on KTCU and Still has a Frog Pod podcast covering TCU sports that you should all check out. Gives great insights on all TCU sports, football, basketball, baseball, everything in between. But basically, intro it, um, we're here to talk about Frog Hoops. And what's your thoughts on the team so far this season? 
you know, so far this season, I've seen a team that's really slowly grown into itself. Uh, you know, when you have so many transfers and the way that college basketball works nowadays, it's it's tough because you can have a team that's great on paper, get a lot of skill guys, but chemistry is one of the biggest things in a sport like basketball, and it takes time for guys to truly gel. You really can't get that off the court practicing. You got to kind of experience it live in a game, just kind of see where guys' heads at. So I'm seeing a team that's slowly growing and finding themselves. And honestly, I'm very proud of how this far this team has came because the losses to Clemson, Nevada early in the season, those were tough losses. Those were games that TCU definitely is a better team, but they've grown from that. And now they're playing really good basketball now in the Big 12. Their record's not ideally where Coach Dixon probably want it, but as far as I'm seeing, this team is well on their way to doing big things come March. Austin, you mentioned the record. Right now, TCU sits at 14 and five overall, three and three in the Big 12. So I'm curious, what what do they have to do going forward the rest of the Big 12 slate? What do they have to do to to earn a bid and get into the uh, March Madness NCAA tournament? Um, what do you think? So I think to get into the tournament, you're going to need sitting at 14 and five. Now I would say five more conference wins will probably put you in a pretty good spot. Keep in that bubble going to conference tournaments. Then you got to win one in Kansas city. I think kind of regardless, unless TCU goes on a historic stretch, the rest of the way, they're going to need to win one in Kansas city. And I don't know if you guys have looked at that bracket yet. Um, just the format of it. It's, it's going to be rough. I mean, it yeah. is going to be tough. I was talking with my frog pod co-host, Alan Taylor, and, you know, the goal I think that TCU should have this year, it should always be to win the conference. That's as tough as that is. I think that the way this program is ran, we should be aspiring for that every year. But seeing where the season is now, how everything's rolling out, you got to aim for a top four spot in the Big 12 because that gets you a double buy, which we've never had before in the Big 12. If you get that double buy, it makes your life so much easier and also it guarantees you a spot in the NCAA tournament. You're top four in the Big 12, the best basketball conference in the country and potentially the best basketball conference in the history of the sport. That will be more than enough to get you into the NCAAs. But you get five more wins in conference. In another way, you can just say protect home court and don't lose games you're not supposed to. I mean, um, Houston was the last time, I believe, barring injury, that we will see TCU as an underdog at home. We dropped one against Iowa State, and the rest of the home slate's not easy. I mean, it's the Big 12, so you got to find a way to defend home court. You got some really fun home games left. You got Tech coming up this week. You got UT next Saturday. That's going to be a, an amazing environment. The last time Horns come here, you still got to play Baylor at home. You still got many opportunities to really bolster your resume, but you got to protect home court. That's where it all starts if the Frogs are very serious about getting in the tournament and having a good seating. Yeah, and there's been so much parity, not in just all of college basketball this year, but in the Big 12 specifically. Like we've seen, you know, you can make your argument for Houston or Kansas or Baylor, all these different teams. Where do you see the Big 12 lining up right now, and who's the best team out there? That's a tough question. Right now, number one team in the conference is Texas Tech. As I look over the standings, which is really funny, um, you know, Grant McCaslin's a great coach coming over yeah. from UNT. I'd uh, like to hire for Tech don't like tech necessarily as a school, but they've done a good job when it comes to handling uh, basketball and their coaching staff. As of right now, I'm still going to say the best team, the team that I would say would give most teams fits night in night out. It's got to be Houston. I mean, just the way that Kelvin Sampson has that team playing LJ Cryer and uh, Jamal shed 
that's my pick. Those two guys are just dogs at the guard position. You need yeah. guards to win in this league and in March. A lot of people are going to say Kansas, and I think if you really watch Big 12 basketball, Kansas, as good as they are, they only have four guys. It's yeah. Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Dewan Harrison, Murphy, mm. uh, the Australians coming into his own. But, you know, it's really those four guys. And Dewan Harris, as great a facilitator as he is, a, as great as a pass, passer and distributor as he is, he doesn't shoot the ball. And he's a good shooter. Mm. So if you're having a hesitant point guard that's afraid to shoot the ball, I don't know how you would be able to survive night in, night out. I've listened to other college basketball podcasts. Most recently, I listened to Mark Titus' show from Barstool. Yeah, he said that it's Kansas's conference, and I completely disagree because historically, yes, it's basically just give Kansas the title. Let's see how the rest works out. This Kansas team is in jeopardy of, in my opinion, not even being a top three team in the Big 12. I, you got Houston. You got Tech who's playing great. Iowa State versus Kansas tomorrow is not going to be easy. Baylor has guards that can play. I mean, there's just so many teams for Bill Self to only have four guys he can trust uh, to really be able to say that Kansas is the best team. So I, I got to go with Houston. I have to. Yeah, we've yeah. been on that train too a little yeah. bit with how thin Kansas has been all year. And I remember even saying last week, like, I could see them getting upset early. You know, if mm-hmm. one thing goes, foul trouble and injury, it's they're so thin, it's scary. So I agree with that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked, Nick and I did a pod after Houston went 0-2 a couple weeks ago when they lost to Iowa State and TCU back-to-back. And we were doing a pod about who's the best team, and we both said Houston's still the best team because mm-hmm. it's just there's not a better defense in college basketball. We saw against, you know, that TCU game, uh, TCU ended up winning, but it was brutal the first, like, what, eight minutes of that game. TCU yep. didn't even shoot the ball. So it's just a suffocating defense. They have a good offense. They have the – they have, you know, I love shed. So we agree with you there. Um, and you talk about how deep the, the conference is and, you know, Texas tech surprising Baylor has the guards. How many teams in this conference could you see making the tournament? Like what's the max amount of teams you could see getting in there? So max amount of teams mm-hmm. I see at the very most, I'm going to give me the max. I'm going to say 12. Mm-hmm. I think every team in I this agree. league is a tournament caliber team can win a game in the tournament except for West Virginia and Oklahoma state. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the standings right now, BYU is ranked 21st in the country. According to the associated press, they're not top 10 in the big 12 right now. They're number 11 at two and four Cincinnati. We know how good they can be. TCU saw that firsthand. That's a tournament team. In my opinion, that's 12 teams right there. That's the top 12 in the big, tw- like right there. Cincinnati goes and plays in any other power conference, maybe outside the Big East, and they're top four. Easy. So to answer your question, it is 12 teams. And I I mean, West Virginia, they've had their own issues. And Oklahoma State, if they lose this weekend to West Virginia, I do believe their coach, Mike Boynton, will be getting fired. And they have some interim options there, too. So, I mean, that would be historic levels if that were if that were able to be pulled off, uh, the Big 12 getting 12 out of 14 teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's absurd. And and there's so much talent in this conference, too, with, you know, Dickinson, McCuller, Shed, all, all the guards there just around the clock. But we were had a take the other day that we think Emmanuel Miller could be a top three player in this conference um, beside Dickinson and McCuller from Kansas. Where do you see Emmanuel Miller ranking like Big 12 players, and how much of a jump have you seen from years past that's encouraging to Frog fans? 
so I mean the big like you said the big Twelve has so many guys. I mean it, you say E Man's three is not not a bad take at all. I mean you know you just look around the conference. You got Max A Smith out of Texas. He's a he's a guard that can he's been filling up since past three years back at Oral Roberts. Um, Houston L J Cryer who basically doesn't miss when his feet are set. Jamal Shedd I think is one of the best pure point guards in the country. Iowa State Taman Lipsy yeah. is great. I mean. There's just I almost have to tear it off with the Big Twelve just yeah. because it's like, you know, there's the the top of the line which is like your Hunter Dickinsons and Jamal Sheds of the world and then Kevin McCullough and then you have the second tier where it's like the guys who you if you don't if you aren't careful they're gonna drop twenty on you and change the game completely and that's where yeah. I think Eman falls he's in that second tier kind of a Big Twelve players on a consistent basis now obviously Eman's best day he's one of the best players in the country. So I put that in that second tier just because sometimes the consistency is not there, mm-hmm. um, but it, it has been better. And that goes to the question of how he's improved over the years. I remember when E-Man first got there, people forget Emmanuel Miller was at A&M and was averaging yeah. uh, double digits, and he mm-hmm. was top five in the SEC in field goal percentage. So this guy's been playing for a long time at a very high level. Where I think he's grown the most is his leadership and his ability to be comfortable guiding a team i think the past two years with mike miles as great as mike miles was for this program there was too many times where everyone was just like let mike miles do his thing how many games did we see mike miles truly take over when no one else was able to do anything mm-hmm. baylor last year on the road was the one that comes to mind right away you know uh, the oklahoma game in 20 the 2022 so that kind of, I think, hurt the team in some aspects because if Mike wasn't on and no one else was going, there was no one else to lead. And Mike, to me, was not the verbal leader that E-Man is. And would E-Man become that leader, be able to communicate leadership effectively to the rest of the team? I think that's helped this team a lot and get to the point where they're at now. And I believe that's going to continue growing. And it's going to pay major dividends come March. Yeah, we had Colin Post on this show, too, and we were asking about E-Man as well. And he was saying that he was the best leader that he has covered at TCU, which is yes. um, a bold take because you had Duggan and all these football and baseball, you know, so much success. Oh, he's, recently, okay. but... he's bringing in all sports. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, to say from what he's covered, I would believe that, too. If I had to say who Colin's covered best leader, I would I would agree with that take. That's huge props for E-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's big. That's big. And he's he's a great he's a great guy too, and he loves TCU. As you guys can see, his interaction with not just the student body, but just the fan base and the donors, and you know everyone. It's very very authentic. When we went out there, barstool for March Madness, my senior year, um, I just remember getting on the plane. He was so happy. He, you know, shook everyone's hand, gave everyone a high five. He he was just you know his energy is contagious and i think that finally has brought its way to the forefront of the team in a way of leadership and you know confidence that's you know going from him all the way down to the last guy in the rotation so he's a truly an asset to tcu and he's really proud to be a horn frog yeah so going back a little bit before e-man you know before even jamie dixon mike miles desmond bain all those guys TCU's basketball program was not good, Mm-mm. and now you're now we're in a spot where it's consistently. I mean, it's it's consistently a 
a contending, I don't want to say contending, but close to a contending team in the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And a part of that has been like all of a sudden Shulmire Arena is this really kind of great atmosphere. And you obviously ran Barstool TCU for two years, right? Two or three years. And mm -hmm. Barstool is always a big thing with the student body, the fan base. What is your what has your impression been on just the atmosphere that Schulmeyer has become and, and um, you know, how good of an atmosphere do you, do you believe it is, you know, when you compare it with the rest of the conference, maybe. Schulmeyer has come a long way. It mm -hmm. really has. I remember my freshman year, you used to be able for, for conference games, unless it was Kansas or Texas for any conference game, you could even Baylor, I would say too, outside of those three teams, you could go into a conference game after tip off and get, front row seats or damn near close so and for me growing up i've been a tcu fan since the rose bowl and i, well, I was a marquette basketball fan primarily because i couldn't watch tcu basketball games but also because tcu like you said wasn't a very good basketball program and to see the transformation happen you know you go from you, you hire dixon you get the nit you get desmond bain slowly built now the stolmeyer outside of the non-conference games Every game is basically sold out. You got to get there early. We're not, you're just not going to get a seat. And it is such a great environment because, one, there's not a bad seat in the house. And the connectivity of the crowd to the actual team, I feel like, is so great. And that was a big factor, I think, that Mike Miles' team and, the, you know, that class of guys had because they were very interactive with the student body. Because even when Desmond was there, it, the, the, the connection truly between the students and the players still wasn't there. It was once Mike... E-Man, Damian Ball, even Eddie Lampkin were on the team that truly created that cohesion. Now, we want to compare it to the rest of the conference. That's a tough ask because you got, you know, Texas Tech, a great mm -hmm. environment. We know what Kansas is. We know what Hilton Coliseum up in Ames is like. Kansas mm -hmm. State, the Octagon of Doom. You know, there's so many great environments. But TCU has, I truly believe, at its peak, I think it's passing Baylor. If it isn't there yet, it's close to. Because where Baylor is struggling, even though they have a new beautiful pavilion down there in Waco, um, Alan Taylor will be there tomorrow, and he's very excited. The cohesion that Baylor students and Baylor players have is nowhere near what we have at TCU. And that's a huge factor because Baylor, as we know, it's a top 10 program right now, I would say, in the country. Scott Drew is definitely a top 10 coach. And they were struggling with attendance. TCU, you never have that problem. When, when TCU is good, we show up. And that's the thing. The atmosphere at the Skolmeyer is only going to continue to get better. And people say, oh, we need to change the layout. We need to have the students closer. You know, we need to expand the Skolmeyer. Keep the Skolmeyer as it is. It's a, it's a great yeah. venue. It's a great experience for everyone that comes in there. And truthfully, if we're getting to the point where TCU needs to consider expanding the Skolmire, we'll just go to Dickies. That that's always been my that's always been my take. Yeah. I don't know if we want to do that for conference games, but maybe now in the future, Texas is leaving. If we want to host, if we want to do a kind of like a home and home thing with Texas going forward, and TCU's having that kind of draw, we'll play the games at Dickies, which is another great venue, by the way. Love Dickies Arena. Um, so that's where I'm going with that. That's a long answer for. How good I think the Skolmeyer is, but truly it's an underrated environment in college basketball. And I think we'll see slowly throughout this season and definitely in the future. It's a tough place to play and it's a great experience for all who get to attend.
Yeah, and speaking about the trajectory of the program for TCU, like Jamie Dixon's put together a top 15 class, and he's been able to raid the portal to have some of the top portal classes in the past three, four years that have Mm -hmm. made them that good. How do you see them lining up with these other Big 12 programs, especially the new Big 12, with how they're ranked amongst others? So the new Big 12 is going to be, I mean, this year, as great as it's been, going forward, it's going to be even crazier. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma right now, sitting where they're on the conference, they leave. You will lose some things there. You know, the the rivalries of, you know, Red River will be gone. And then uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Bedlam's going to be gone. You have those intricacies, Texas versus Texas Tech, so on and so forth. But you're adding Arizona. You're adding Colorado, who is slowly starting to invest more in their basketball program. And you're also bringing Utah, who will be with rival BYU. And if BYU and Mark Pope are doing well in the basketball court, the people out in Salt Lake City are not going to take that lightly. They're also going to up their game. Mm-hmm. And then you have Arizona State, who has a Hurley brother at the helm. I don't know how much longer he will be there. But you add in every single school in the Big 12 will have basketball as a priority. There's going to be no schools that do not take it seriously, which is great for the conference. Mm-hmm. What TCU has that most of the newcomers and most of the conference might not have is the access to talent in the DFW Metroplex. Mm-hmm. You no longer have to directly compete with Texas. Texas is always going to be a player because it's the University of Texas. It's the biggest brand in all of college sports. But with TCU now being able to say, okay, we're a legitimate program. We're in DFW. And DFW basketball, if you look back at the past five, six years of high school prospects that have come out yeah. of DFW, it's insane. And LTC does need to land one of those guys every two years, and you're, the trajectory of the program is going to take off. The thing I talked about with Mr. Taylor that's going to be important going forward for TCU, if you want to continue this trajectory, not kind of a stalemate, you've got to land that impact freshman very soon. I think that Jamie Dixon's very close to talking to, to – excuse me, not talking to – to getting a five-star to commit here. Uh, there had been conversations with – five stars in the class of, I want to say, 2025, 2026. I don't know where they are with their recruitment so far, but five years ago, you, we were lucky to get four stars, like legitimate four stars. Now we're talking about five stars coming here. If TCU is going to take that next step, I believe that you got to get a five-star on campus, an impact freshman, that if he's one and done, great. If he's a guy that you have for two or three years, even better. you got to land that high-end recruit. And I also think what TCU needs to do is, they need to consistently like they need to have stretches in the Big Twelve of dominance. TCU hasn't won three straight in conference since the COVID year. So you have that statistic. You got to get that run going. That way you kind of put yourself in the echelon. Because as of right now, as good of a contender as I think TCU is, you still haven't had that kind of success that even Iowa State or Kansas State have had in the conference. Kansas State's won a conference title recently. You know, Baylor, obviously, what they've done. You're, you're not there yet. you got to have that moment that pushes you into the upper echelon. And I think that once that happens, then TC's trajectory in basketball will really hit a curve. And once you get that going, it, it's it's hard to stop. The momentum will surely be there. So I've got we've got an interesting hypothetical for you about this team. Mm-hmm. So obviously guard play has been something that has, we've talked about a lot here. There's two new guards, Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson Jr., and they've had their ups and downs. They've been pretty good recently. But but a question that we have is, if you could add, like, a Mike Miles or a Damian Baugh 
to this team right now, what would it look like? How much better, if if any, would it be? And if you could choose between those two guys, which one are you adding? So with this team, I mean, so with this team, mm-hmm. I truly believe that you would want more of a Damian Ball than a mm-hmm. Mike Miles. Strictly because of what I talked about earlier about the, you know, the mentality of letting Mike just do as he pleases and just watching. There was a lot of that last year and the year before last. What Damian Ball gives you is a great on-ball defender who can mm-hmm. play the passing lanes. He facilitates at an elite level, and he's also a guy that doesn't need the basketball in his hand necessarily to make a huge impact like Mike Miles did. So with that being said, you have and that also allows Micah Peavy to swing back more to the forward. I know he's kind of like a combo guard, but I truly believe that he's best out on the wings more with the bigger forward guard kind of players. So that gives you three legitimate guards, really four, with Tennyson, Nelson, Anderson, and Ball. I, I believe that for just the pure chemistry and the style of play this team needs, I, I would add Damian Ball. Yeah, and we talk about those Mike and DB teams, and you were with Barstool um, through as the rise kind of started. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite moment with Barstool? Because I, you know, I remember the back-to-back storm, the storm chasers, um, you know, just that season specifically that 2022 season i guess was i don't know super cool to me but you being there even longer than that what's your favorite basketball moment or just sports moment working with barcel tcu i mean that kansas game I, it was really fun i was actually just talking with some of my uh buddies from tcu about that last night night before last that kansas that day just felt different i'll yeah. never forget just because obviously Kansas comes into town. It's a big game. I want to say it was a Monday night or a Tuesday yeah. night. It was, it was a I weekend. remember camping out for like hours. The line mm-hmm. was crazy. Yeah, I mean, the lines were that year were just unprecedented. I mean, it was insane. Um, but the funny thing is about that day, we had communicated with Barstow about the Storm Chasers, but we were under the assumption that they were not going – to be there just because of the timing they were at, I want to say either they were at Arkansas beforehand. They got in trouble with the police. And I remember walking back from class right around noon, probably before and we got the text that they were coming. And at that point it kind of clicked. I was like, we're going to win. I don't know how that team was yeah. really good. That was a really good Kansas team with uh, Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown. Yeah. And you know, who else is on that team? Um, was Uday on that team? I think no, Uday, Uday was a freshman no, last no, year. Uday was a freshman last year. Yeah, but I mean, they Uday. won the Natty, so. Yeah, this is a loaded Kansas team. Yeah. And I was like, we're going to win this game. And then the whole process went about. They stayed at uh, Lot 12, dropping off tickets there for them. And then, you know, we got to the stadium. We got in probably like an hour and a half, hour 45 before tip. And just like, you know, there are moments in life where you just know you're about to experience something special, and that game was exactly it. I mean, just the, the full circle of, oh, I used to walk in here and be able to get a front row seat for any game. Now it's like I'm here an hour and a half, and as soon as the gates open, it's full. And then the aftermath of it all, you know, on the court and, you know, storm chasers bring them in the locker room. And they they told the guys in the locker room, you guys can beat any team in the country. Yeah. Rowan and that's, that was a moment. That yeah. was the moment. And then you go on to play Arizona in an all-time classic March Madness mm. game. And, you know, that truly, I believe, 
was the point in TCU basketball where it's like, okay, we're no longer just the team that's, you know, kind of good. This is when that was a program defining moment for sure. Yeah, I was, I was talking to Dawson the other day on the phone about it too. And he was saying how mm-hmm. like, that's a big moment that got him the job of Barstool and you just yeah. full circle, everything coming together. That was, that was a super special day. So yeah. Caleb Presley Dawson. told him, he was like, if you need a letter of recommendation, that's me. And that's, yeah. and that's the dude who's interviewing Drake, Sean McVay, uh, you know, Drew, like all these, all these big time names. Yeah. It's like, he was with us and he was like, I'm impressed with what you guys have done. That's someone who's interviewing the biggest names in the world. Yeah. That's awesome. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about how that was the national championship team. That mm-hmm. Kansas team. Yeah. yeah. We were the yeah. last team to beat him that year. I'm pretty yep, sure. We were yeah. the last team to beat him. Like Jalen Wilson, I think was on that team too. Jaylen, yeah. I mean, that team was just loaded. I mean, they yeah. just, the, the fact that TCU and the thing is like TCU won that game. It wasn't comfortably because, but they had control. And the whole time I kept telling Dawson, I was like, the Kansas run is going to come. We just got to withstand that run. And it just never truly came. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we yeah. won. And yeah. It was a great night. Yeah. McCormick, I think too. Yeah. Cause that was when Eddie had the tweet that was like, I ain't losing at home no more. You remember yeah. that? And then yeah, we'd be attacking Kansas. The mm-hmm. greatest tweet of all time. <laughs> it worked out perfectly. Call your shot, and if it goes in, feels even better. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, awesome. We've got one more for you before we let you go, and we appreciate you coming on once again. But to close it out, Baylor this weekend in Waco. Nick's going to be there. What is your prediction? It's it's going to be tough. Baylor has lost three straight in Big 12 play. I want, I think – once or twice since 2018 so it's unprecedented territory for them uh but tcu is also in a must-win mode i mean you lose this game if you're tcu you're back to below 500 in the conference and it gets a lot your road to even just winning the conference let alone top four just gets a little bit murkier because after this weekend the big 12 is going to be a true log jam i believe of teams at the top i think the line right now is minus five and a half i mean it's um the funny thing enough is Ray J Dennis, the point guard for Baylor. We actually grew up and played AAU basketball together for a year. <laughs> back when we were really, really young. I think I was taller than Ray J at that point. Now he's well taller than me. Um, so my mother will be watching that game really closely. <laughs> she watches all the Baylor games very closely just for him. If you're TCU, you got to turn him over. Ray J does turn the ball over at a lot higher rate than I think Scott Drew likes to, but he can make a lot of, of plays that kind of offset that. You got to pressure, and you know they have an elite offense. Jacoby Walters is, I think, a top three freshman mm. in the nation right yeah. now, and he's playing like it. I mean, they're they're deep and they they play very well and they're very disciplined. So TCU cannot turn the ball they did against Iowa State. If you limit the turnovers, I just think that naturally based off how Baylor plays and how our defense is kind of – how our defense and their offense kind of match up, you'll do well mm-hmm. overall, but you just cannot turn the ball over. You've Whoever – my prediction is going to be whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win the game mm-hmm. overall. And if you're TCU, you just got to make your shots on the outside. If you're going to get your inside looks, but you got to make your shots because – Baylor is going to force you to score a lot of points if you're going to beat them. And so I think TCU can win this game. I'm going to predict them to win the game, but it's going to be close and it's going to be tough. Baylor's going to light it up. The, the Baylor run is just as real as the Kansas run nowadays. You got to withstand that one. 
And if you can withstand that and play a good, clean 40 minutes, not 38, not 39, but 40 minutes, mm-hmm. you have a very, very good chance of coming out of Waco with the win. And TCU won last year at Waco, thanks to Chuck Gobannon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to need guys like Chuck and other guys coming off the bench to have really good performances if you're going to go into uh, the pavilion and give them their first loss ever. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. This has been awesome. It was great to finally get a chance to talk to you. And um, Yes, of course, guys. Anytime. Let me know. You guys are doing a great job. I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. We'd All love right. to have you back on at some point later on if you're if you're down. Of course. Just reach out to me. I mean, I'm usually you know, working from home on Friday, so it's pretty nice. Um, Sweet. But just give me a holler whenever you guys are free. I'd love to come back on and talk TCU. It's pretty much what I do all day if I'm not working. (laughs) Exactly. Same here. All right. Appreciate you, Austin.